Hi everyone and welcome to 90th Minute Winner with me, Scott Noble. Um, I've done this completely accidentally, um, but somehow it looks like I'm an absolute genius. But every single episode so far has somehow linked together. So with the first three, first three episodes, we have had David Priest, who is commonly mentioned on the T4 football, football podcast, actually, who where my next guest is actually from. Um, second episode was from was with Chris Woff, who is regularly uh, writing for The Athletic, which is, again is associated with the, the T4 Football podcast. And the third episode with Ian Birchnell, who was also featured on the T4 Football podcast. So please welcome from T4 Football podcast, Seb, Seb Stafford-Blow. So Seb, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Scott. Like, with well, TV podcast seems to be like three set, three degrees of separation from everything at the moment, isn't it? It's good. It's yeah, good. it is. Yeah, Some, somehow links together with everybody. So, um, we just discussed before we started recording this episode, actually, um, and it's something which we didn't actually mention yesterday when we, we were talking about the the episode, um, because it's only recently happened this morning. The Frank Lampard situation at Chelsea. So, before we get into the the main sort of, um discussion points about the the episode I just want to get your thoughts on that I think it's been inevitable for a few weeks Scott I think somewhere along the line there came a, a point of no return a moment at which Chelsea felt it felt they needed to, to choose between the club legend and their most recent round of heavy investment um, there is certainly a you know a for and against with Lampard there's um you know, there's arguments being made for saying that he should have stayed longer, should have been given a chance to arrest this downturn in form. And those are all, you know, credible perspectives. I think what it might have come down to was that uh, two of the most disappointing players this season have been Kai Harvest and Timo Werner. Yeah. And I think it, in, in Werner's case in particular, because Harvest has had coronavirus and you know we don't really know what it's like to come back from that as a, as a professional athlete, but yeah. Werner just looks broken. Um, and I think if you're a Chelsea executive, if you're someone who has been um, you know, sanctioning those checks and that expenditure, I think that would concern you. Um, and Chelsea have always been kind of a bottom line club. And, and so for Lampard, the reality is this, they have spent... Uh, almost a quarter of a billion pounds to be in eighth place and to have been knocked out of the League Cup by Tottenham. Yeah. I don't really, I mean, I know all people will say it's Chelsea being ruthless. It's, you know, Chelsea maybe betraying their culture. There's kind of this new movement under Lampard of placing faith in, in academy players, homegrown players. The reality is this, you, you just, you can't get away from the bottom line here. You can't get away from the fact that even in a even in a Premier League season where in Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City, they've all had their moments. They've all they've all got their flaws as sides. They all look knackered. They've all got injuries, and and this is a very winnable Premier League. Chelsea are nowhere to be seen, yeah. and it's really difficult to reconcile that with what they what they committed over the summer. Yeah, so rumours are flying about at the moment that Thomas Tuchel's gonna gonna take charge and the rumours rumours again were a four and a half year deal but I was talking to, to some friends about, about this and realistically what is the point in giving Tuchel four and a half years? I suppose well it depends what he's going what other offers he has on the table. Like it's a you know, if he has other clubs interested in him, uh, other clubs who may currently have managers who are kind of sniffing around at the prospect of maybe replacing the season's end. 
if Chelsea feel that they need to entice him and then need to give him an offer they can't refuse, then you know a good way of doing that beyond basic wage is to give a, a long deal. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I think it's um, it's a strange one because I think no matter who you talk to, the, the kind of the response to Tuchel is the same, and that politically he's a little bit tricky. He's someone you have to handle with a bit of care. Yeah, he's someone that um, would punch upwards a little bit. Mm-hmm. within a hierarchy yeah. um, exert a little bit of pressure if he doesn't get what he wants I think his, his the way his time at uh, Paris Saint-Germain ended is suggestive of a habit of his which is um, he'll talk to the press if he's not happy he'll, he'll, he'll express his discontent and again not ideal I think this is one of the pros of Lampard that he wasn't someone that was likely to do that at least he wasn't he wasn't going to air, air the club's dirty laundry yeah um, uh, so it is. Uh, it's a it's a pretty big one eighty. Um, I think as a you know uh, from a purely coaching and technical perspective, fantastic. Um, I enjoy watching his teams. I have done it. I enjoy watching his British Dortmund side a little bit more than uh, Paris Saint Germain because I don't. I don't still don't really know what PSG are. Yeah. and <laughs> you never will because because of the context in which their success has been achieved. Yeah, but I'd be interested to see how he copes. I I'm also listen. You know. Timo Werner and Kai Havertz have had poor starts, but they are two really, really good players. Uh, Hakim Ziyech as well has um, you know, had some pretty good moments. I think he could do good things with that with that group of players. So I'd be interested to see it if it comes through. Yeah, same. I mean, I, I thought when it first came out it was going to be a short-term appointment, six months to the end of the season and, and try and get them in the top four. But it, obviously it, it appears that's not the case. Um, do, you think, do you think they will have somebody else in mind in the future? Maybe Nagelsmann or... Maybe Allegri or someone like that. Um, Nagelsmann, Nagelsmann is a really interesting one because I, I think for for a long time people have just accepted the fact that eventually he'll go to Bayern Munich. Yeah, uh, and it would make sense too because I, there's a little bit of the Roberto Di Matteo's about about Hansi Flick's second season. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. I think. I mean, I. Bayern Munich is still top of the Bundesliga, uh, that you know. So it's, it's it's a little bit of a um, bit of a laboured criticism, but uh, there is that suggestion there that it's not quite what it, people assumed it would be, um, and so you know you could at least see a vacancy there occurring in sort of six months' time. Whether Nagelsmann really fits the profile of manager that Chelsea want, I don't know, and because and, and that's partly because I don't really know what Chelsea are. Like mm. what what did Chelsea stand for? What is what is their you know what is what is Chelsea's philosophy on how the game should be played? Okay, for a long time, Roman Abramovich coveted the sort of Pep Guardiola style, the aesthetics that he brought to Barcelona. I don't think I don't think that's really the case anymore. I think what Chelsea will always crave is success, and so yeah. as a result, you can never say with any certainty that yes, this manager is a good fit for that club. I mean, look at the kind of look at the the recent managers they've gone through. Just the last three: Frank Lampard, Mauricio Sarri, Antonio Conte. There are no, there's no. There's no Venn diagram there, really, is yeah. there? I mean, beyond yeah. the nationality of uh, of Sarri and Conte, it's mm-hmm. very different stylistically, and and it it shows that they're not really wedded to any particular approach. They just are pursuing improvement and success and, and trophies. So, yeah. Nagelsmann would be great. I'd love to see him in England, but I um I think if Tuchel, if it is four years, then that's the way they're going. Um, I yeah, I mean, it would um, nothing surprises me with Chelsea. Yeah, that way. <laughs> I think that's a really good way to end, end the end the actual discussion. To be fair about Chelsea, um, nothing yeah. surprises me. Um, but yeah, we'll want to watch out for. Let, let's see. Um, so something I always do on this on this podcast is get a, a, an idea of your journey. Um, 
again, mostly it's been about coaches. So naturally, it's about you know I started level one and I worked my way up to where I am now. But you, yourself is a bit of a different one because it's journalism. So um, if you just want to take us through where where you started and obviously where you're at now, and it would lead us nicely into the the T Four Football Podcast, no doubt. Yeah, sure. It's quite a strange, um, strange one. I mean, I never really intended to do what I do now. Um, I, you know, my first my first job was actually um, designing and building office space in London. Right. <laughs> um, so it's about as far as you can get from from football writing or you know um, what Tifo does today. Yeah. Um, but I think, in a way, sort of my um, my career path. I was dissatisfied with what I was doing for a living. So I did a couple of things. I worked in sports and marketing um, for a long time, um, did bits and pieces around that industry. And I didn't really enjoy it. And I, I started, I just started blogging because I, I needed a catharsis. I was living by myself at the time, um, long before I, I met my now wife. And I, I'd finished work and I'd have a little bit of a void. Um, I wasn't particularly satisfied by what I'd done professionally. And I've always loved the game uh, since, yeah. for as long as I can remember. And I, I started blogging and, and to cut a long story short, over time, over years, um, it became kind of viable to to pursue a freelance writing career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote for a lot of different places like 442 and the Standard, the Eye, um, uh, Football 365. But I... Um, one of the places a long time ago was what has eventually become TIFO football. It was originally, um, originally actually a predicting a prediction game, and it used to have an editorial that sat alongside it. it wasn't even called TIFO football back then. Right. But, um, I started life there as a uh, just a, as a contributor. Um, I became the editor of the website, and obviously, um, you know, I spent a lot of time uh, working with Joe Devine. Um, actually, you can still find. Um, episodes of a, of a podcast Joe used to run called The Illustrated Game and we used to, it was, it's, uh, it's a strange thing but it was great fun and um, he used to go on, on there for a while uh, every now and again and you know Joe came to um, what was then New Max at football and it evolved to become T4 football over time yeah. and, and to be what it is now there's no website anymore I think because um, Joe and Alex quite rightly um, decided that it wasn't really uh, financially viable mm-hmm. you either have to you know um, do something in great volume which is quite cynical. I think that's the way you succeed now, yeah. um, unfortunately, in written form, unless you have a really good subscription model like The Athletic, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and uh, I was kind of balancing my work for TIFO Football with um, freelance stuff. So I would do um, match reporting and um, a lot of Premier League games, a lot of press box stuff, a lot of features, um, the occasional bit of writing for the Blizzard, something like that. And then... Um, uh, just at the beginning of last year, the opportunity um, arrived. The opportunity arose where I could um, I could do my stuff at Tifa Football full time. Mm-hmm. And I think um, when the company got acquired by the Athletic, uh, it became easier to see what the direction of it was. And you know, I've worked with Joe and Alex for quite a long time now, so I, you know, I, we get on. That's really really helpful thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and that that's me now, um, which is, there's no rhyme or reason to any of it. It wasn't sort of, uh, I don't think any of it was plotted. I don't think I sat down when I was 18 and thought, I'm going to go from here to here to here, and then I'm going to be there when I'm, I'm now 36. Yeah. But it's worked out, and um, I love what I do. That's helpful, too. You get on with the people you work with and you enjoy what you do. That's a pretty good combination. Yeah, of course. Um, 
So that's that's me really. Uh, I've just muddled through, and I've been really, really fortunate, and um, I've got the breaks at the right time, and benefited from people being kind and generous with their time and advice mm-hmm. over the years. And um, yeah, I've been very, very fortunate. Yeah, great stuff. Again, it it brings us nicely onto the onto the podcast actually because it's it's slowly become my favourite podcast actually. And I, don't worry, I don't oh, say that. I don't much. I don't say that to everybody that comes on. By the way, so it is exclusively for <laughs> for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, the the best thing about the the podcast is that, like you're saying, you get on with with Joe and Alex, and there does seem to be some sort of comedy element to it. I don't know if Joe, it's just he's, the way he sort of says things and his tone of voice. It's it brings that comedic element to it, but it's got a comedy element to it, but also has a serious element to it, especially the sensible transfers um, feature, which is my favorite favorite feature of the podcast. So, is that exclusive? exclusively before when the, the transfer window is open or do you do you have previews to it or how does it work? So Sensible Transfers is really a, an idea that Joe and Alex came up with uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so originally uh, the idea was that, uh, what, as it says on the tin, um, the T5 Football would produce videos which instead of, which kind of, kind of took a different approach to all the gossipy stuff that runs through you know january or july and august yeah. and, and just sort of you know if if um if profile and celebrity and bias weren't a part of what clubs do during the transfer window how would it look mm-hmm. and it was it's a bit of fun it's a simple premise and it's worked and um alex does a really good job alex does all the selecting so right. Um, what we'll usually do. So we, we've obviously just just finished a series uh, recently. So we we sat down probably middle of December, picked some teams. Alex went off and uh, did what Alex does, and you know we we um, he filled positions that needed filling, and we looked at. Um, we tried to we we tried not to make it too sort of fantastical. So there were no unlimited budgets and there were things that we tried to consider like you know if a if a player has an agent that has a good relationship with the club so if for instance like you might find a Mino Riola um, client going to Juventus for instance yeah. something, something that makes sense mm-hmm. and it was just a bit of um, yeah it was it was just uh, yeah it light-hearted but with a with a serious element to it and um, people respond to it I, I think it's um, it's tricky isn't it because in one sense um doing any, anything transfer related seems like a little bit of a golden ticket. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important what you do because I think Tifo Football has has a reputation for doing things. I'm not going to be pious or pompous about it, but we try and do things honestly and, and in the right way and not in a cynical, um, not with a cynical approach. And so you have to handle stuff like transfers with care and not to be like, you know what, you know, uh, Man United should sign Leo Messi. Yeah. Yeah, because it's cheating, isn't yeah, it? Like it's, that's just cheating. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just something you know we we try not to make um, January or July solely about transfers, but it's just something that happens at that time of year and and just sits around the rest of our content. And um, with a podcast, it's just a natural extension to it. Um, it's a you know because sometimes I don't know um, Alex will dig out a gem from like the Serbian league or something, and and it's good instead of just banging that player in a video and, and, and appearing a little bit hipsterish it's quite nice to just have a chat about it and yeah. say well why do we do this and you know and also maybe to talk about some of the um secondary and tertiary issues which occur at clubs um in relation to recruitment and decision making so you know what's the what's the um what's the state of um you know the analysis of the club what's the director of football like is there a director of football is there any money at the club and so 
it's an idea that kind of builds itself because all of a sudden you're thinking, right, well, you know, the Club X uh, need this player in this position, but um, they've got a little bit of a financial black hole because of uh, uh, scenarios uh, X, Y, and Z. And so you, you can then say to someone like, obviously we're all under the Athletics banner, so you say to someone like Matt Slater, come on and talk to us about this local, com- this recent commercial deal that's been struck. Yeah. Or, um, this takeover and what we can expect here, and, and so kind of trying to blend the kind of the the real world with a little bit of that sort of fantasy element, I think is is the way forward. It's still evolving as a series, but it's um it's good fun to do. Yeah, one the latest episode you had on actually, I was listening to the beginning, and you were talking about when you say about realistic transfers, it, it actually is. But there's also elements to it where you you start discussing a certain player, and as you go on and on about the, the player more and more and, and the agent that's involved potentially, you actually start thinking, you know, that that could make sense. So Ruben Neves was one I, I heard in the podcast, actually, and you were talking about maybe Tottenham oh. Arsenal go Madrid. And that's what I like yeah. about the podcast because it actually explains why that would make sense. Um, so... I, th- I think so, but also, you know, you know what's got... One of the important things about the pod is that um, we know each other a little bit in, yeah. in real life. And so... I think one of the challenges of lockdown, um, and this is something I've experienced with other podcasts I've done, is that when you've got more than two people on the pod uh, and you don't know each other and you don't have that kind of familiarity and the kind of the, the natural chemistry that comes with sitting in the same room, uh, it can be really tricky to yeah. build a rapport. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the, the privileges we've had during this period is that it hasn't really affected us that much because it's just, oh, it's a phone call, Joe and Alex, basically. Um and also, I think that allows the, I think that allows the format of that podcast to be uh, a little bit unrestrained. So we don't have to have, we don't need to lean too much on the structure. It doesn't need to become yeah. like I, I do a planning thing for the podcast every every for every episode. But if you saw it, it's nothing particularly descriptive. It's just sort of jumping off points. Um, when Joe hosts, Joe, I mean Joe's one of those guys, one of those infuriating people who is just able to do it very naturally. Like I, I could is, never yeah. do that. When I, if you hear the episodes where I try and host, if if like you know Joe's away or unable to do it, it's um it's painfully self aware <laughs> and self conscious, and, and it really comes across. Like I sometimes when I'm recording them, I have to have ten or eleven goes at it. It's it's um and my wife just sits in the background laughing. When I do. <laughs> um, uh, but it's when you have those ingredients, when you have someone that can just can do that, and Alex is very comfortable doing his thing, and you mm-hmm. know I'm I'm, I'm kind of confident in what i do i think you can you 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 start pretty well ahead which is which is a good thing yeah i'm just to finish off with on the podcast that the packed coffee promotion was probably the one of the funniest segments of a podcast i've ever heard because it was it was kind of planned but it was also kind of off the cuff because he george just went on his own sort of on a tangent of just talking about completely different things but honestly i was absolutely like I couldn't stop laughing for about five minutes. It was so funny. Well, you, well, you, you should hear the ones that don't make the edit. Oh. I, honestly, like, <laughs> I wish we've I done could. a couple, like, especially when Manscaped came in. Yeah. Like, sometimes, um, sometimes you get the ad reads and you need to adapt bits of it just because, uh, <laughs> like, sometimes they just don't suit our personality. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's a he's a he's a funny person. Yeah. But um, yeah, the the ones that the ones that don't. <laughs> The, the, sometimes we just can't get through it yeah I just bet, because yeah. it is quite funny but he <laughs> yeah. and it also he does he just goes off on his own little thing um so yeah they are yeah well this is good because like 
adreads you know ads in podcasts can annoy people and i completely understand that yeah. but um now more than ever they're, they're a necessity so if you're able to make them not part of the show but you know something that people don't absolutely hate then then that's good too i guess <laughs> yeah it is really good honestly so funny um so moving on then um as i um, i've heard before you were a tottenham fan um yeah so in your your opinion how was the season going for tottenham um and what one do you think or two sorry do you think they could win the league and three if not why not right i'll, I'll answer those out of order um they're not gonna win the league um because they're not good enough they're not defensively good enough i yeah. mean if football was five aside and it was just for tottenham's front five okay yeah. Um, maybe mm-hmm. uh, I think, but and and let me let me let me let me caveat that by saying it, that's completely okay because the, there's an improvement there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, there are frustrations with um, some of the strategy and the way leads are defended and that kind of thing, very obviously. Um, but this is still a team which needs significant investment. I mean, don't forget that one of the problems for Mauricio Pochettino was that the investment didn't come. And so the squad wasn't replenished, um, you know, year on year in a way that was manageable. You didn't add two players here, two players there. It got to a stage where it reached the end of a cycle and all of a sudden you needed seven new players. And that's very, very difficult. Yeah. And I think actually Josie Mourinho has done a pretty good job with those things. Um, they need a new centre-half. I would say that uh, right-back is still a problem and they would need another midfield. So I think once you've started doing those things, um, maybe you, you also look to find a long-term successor to Hugo Lloris because um, good goalkeeper, and for a long time he was an excellent goalkeeper, but mm. um, there are a few few issues there, particularly with um, his uh, reluctance to leave his line sometimes. It's tricky. Yeah, But the season as a whole... <sighs> I've been quite neutral to Scott because I, I'm used to being in the stadium mm-hmm. um, originally as a supporter, but yeah. then for the last few years uh, as a as a writer. Um, and when you get used to that, when all of a sudden you go back to watching on television, it's difficult to to, to really feel anything. Even even for the bigger games, I remember I watched North London derby obviously a couple of weeks ago, and, and it, it's nice, it's great, yeah. but as a comparison to what it is a with fans and b to be in the building is it's it's hard mm-hmm. um i also and you know, i get a bit of criticism for this but i i just i, I don't i don't feel much warmth towards jason Mourinho because okay. um not because i'm prejudging him and his ability to affect change in the football team it's just because he um he's such a contrast to Mauricio Pochettino uh and I don't feel like... I think the difference for me is that Pochettino made that era feel like a journey. It felt very together and it felt as if it was a very... Um, it's a very sensory experience. The team was... Yeah. Um, you know, it felt... Uh, I'm not even sure of, of, of the vocabulary for this, but it, it felt different. Let's just put it that way. Whereas Jose Mourinho, I feel like you employ him to do a job for a couple of years and he may well do that job to a high standard. And, and I would certainly give him at least a... You know, a a uh, seven out of ten for his work at Spurs at the moment, um, but it's difficult to feel much in response to him because may- maybe it's a result of his fame. I, d- I don't know. Maybe maybe part of the Pochettino appeal was the fact that he was coming up as a manager at the yeah. time and he was growing with the team. So mm-hmm. you had a you had this nucleus of developing players, head of which, of course, was Harry Kane, but originally it was also people like Nabil Bentaleb and Ryan Mason. You know, people that you you kind of you have that extra. Um, attachment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, 
I feel like you got the superstar manager. You got the shiny stadium, which is an amazing place. But I grew up watching Tottenham at White Hart Lane, yeah, and it's just different. It just is. It, yeah. it, it, it's yeah, it's one of those old bastard complaints that is always <laughs> you know I, I can't help but make. But it's what I'm used to, and also you know you could go to White Hart Lane. I, I remember you know when I when I used to go as a fan rather than as a journalist. You know, you, you take your seat and you look down on the pitch, and when you look down on the pitch, you can remember all the things that you've seen there in your lifetime, like all the goals, all the tackles, the red cards sometimes. With you know Tottenham, Tottenham in the nineties and early two thousands, some of the like truly dreadful moments as well. But it was all part of it. Yeah. Today, it feels like a super club in waiting. Yeah. Um, and I don't get the same feeling from it. And I don't know if that's about Jose Mourinho. I don't know if that's about the coronavirus. And I don't know if that's about the stadium. But I suspect it's all of those things um, in one. So look, I it's been it's been better than I expected. Um, and fine, but I, I don't I don't have the same emotional response to it. And I, I think maybe also this is the conditioning of being a uh, press box writer. Sometimes you, in the beginning, it, I don't get me wrong. It's just it's the most amazing privilege. Like mm-hmm. if anyone ever gets the chance to do it, someone says right, go and go and cover a game for me. I don't care where it is, go and do it. It's yeah. just brilliant, mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant. And the first time I covered a Spurs game, again, like, just fantastic. So all my dreams come true. But over time because you're taught to suppress your reaction to the game. Like you can't celebrate in the press box. Yeah. Like even if it's the last minute winner, even if it's a North London derby and yeah. you're watching I and I I've been in this situation where you know you see goals scored in North London derby and and, and you have to just poker face it. Mm-hmm. And it feels inside like you've hemorrhaged. You know like you're you're you're, you're having to suppress something so hard that you you kind of you feel like you're rupturing. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I think over time um it's hard to switch that on and off. Um and that's a that's a shame. I mean, um, I'm doing much less press box stuff now. I, I kind of got a little bit sick of the travel, and you know, I'm, Tifa football doesn't really like that, so we we don't do that much of that stuff. But um, I don't know. It's just, just where I am with the game, I guess. Yeah. So when you have seen you're a, you're a fan of Tottenham, obviously, and you got the privilege to write write about them as well, do you find it harder watching them on telly? Not only because of the fact that you can't go and celebrate with everybody else because you're in a press box or as a fan or it's, is it also because you can't see the, the finer details of the game, which the Athletic yeah. and T4 obviously look into more? Yeah, I think um, I think anyone would tell you that if you want to... Like I, I, this isn't some sort of um, volley against people that are unable to be in the ground who still want to do analysis, because of course that's possible. Yeah. Just from a personal perspective, I always found it much, much easier if I was writing an article about the game or something within the game to be in the stadium for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because you can see all 22 players mm-hmm. yeah, and you can see the actual shape yeah. of the game. You don't just follow the ball like you yeah. do on TV. But I'm also, I would never describe myself as an analyst. Like Alex is an analyst. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. Um, I'm a little bit more old fashioned, I'd say probably. I, I like when I go to a football ground, I like everything about it. I like, I mean, it's a cliche, but. I already do. I, I love the smell of the frying onions. You know, I like I like being in the stadium three hours before kickoff and mm-hmm. seeing like the stewards going around checking the seats, and then the, the first fans coming in, the first songs pelting out. You know that kind of stuff. And, and I think like, if you read my match work over the years, you'll you'll see that like I mean, there's a lot of that in what I what I wrote. I think looking back, yeah. Um, and so if you're that if you're that way inclined to say you do the same thing but in front of a TV screen 
I mean, you're going to lose something. I'm just not a good enough writer to 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 be to do the same thing from home. I'm just I'm just not. Yeah. Um, but it's um, yeah, it's it's really difficult. And I I just think also the experience of it. I think um, stuff like press conferences and mix zone reporting gets a little bit of a bad press. Um, and I do appreciate that a lot of dross comes out of those areas and a lot of stuff that the public isn't interested in. I completely get that. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if you just wanted to observe, you'd also learn a lot. Like I, I'm not a, um, I'm not a big asker of questions in press conferences because actually the first time I was in a press conference, I, like I was at school, I accidentally put my hand up because I didn't realize you weren't <laughs> supposed to just shout out your question. I embarrassed myself terribly. <laughs> but Alan Pardew looked at me as if, I don't know who is this joker. Yeah, <laughs> my first game was was Palace against Spurs, um, but also little things like if you if you're in a mix zone, okay, so you you got to get used to talking to the players, and that's really important. But also, even if you didn't ask a question or if you didn't, you know, just stand in on somebody else's conversation and look at the player, like even if it's just physically, mm-hmm. how big is this guy? Yeah, like, is he frail? Yeah. Like some of them, you'd be surprised, and you can you can you can get little. Little little details which you can infuse your work with. You know what's what's this guy's personality like? If you, for instance, I remember I remember covering um, the uh, under twenty one championships in twenty seventeen, and um, it's the first time I'd really um, had to do a lot of a mix zone reporting, and and that that was a group of group of players that included um, Nathaniel Chalabar and Tammy Abraham and uh, Damari Gray was there. Uh, Nathan Redmond was in that side yeah. and uh, Alfie Mawson and and when you talk to these guys um, sometimes for things that you record in quotations and make them make, make the paper or sometimes not you get a sense of their personality and like little things like you talk to Tammy Abraham and back then like his whole face used to light up when he talked about football loved it mm-hmm. loved loved football and um that kind of informs the way you react to him for the rest of his career, whether it's relevant or not. You think, yeah, he's a, he's, um, you know, this is, this is how he might react to this situation because he's of personality X, that kind of stuff. And without it, you're kind of locked out. Like you're, you're trying to do something in two dimensions rather than three, I think. And and that's, that's the big difference. Yeah. That's an interesting point you made actually about knowing the player. It, it, you know, it's, a very common term in coaching as well. Um, know the player, know the person, but it, it, it appears from what you're saying there, it's really important in journalism as well because you see, it's very easy as when you're watching a game you don't know the player. Like I know a few players, what I watch them and say, oh well, well he would react like that because that's what he's like. But you think, well, is he is he like that though? And like you said about Tammy Abraham, if before you said that, I would probably have a different opinion on him. You know, also Scott, the thing I struggled with was. Um, actually the concept of managerial sackings. Um, so my first season, um, Guidelin was uh, managing Swansea and he yeah. was on the brink. Like everyone knew he was going, if you remember that time. Yeah. And it was the first time I'd really appreciated that it's such a stupid thing to say, but that managers were human beings. Like you, yeah. you had this guy that had got a good job in a good league and it was maybe not the apex of his career, but a good moment in his career. Mm-hmm. And you could see the wear and tear on him, and and the the stress, and and it's we we become very flippant as fans, even as writers and, and journalists too. But you know the kind of oh this guy should lose his job. Yeah. No, we we started this pod by talking about Frank Lampard, yeah. And like you kind of you do get that perspective on the person, like the the way that um the way that they can be moody, the kind of the 
you know, because for instance, like if you, if you're watching your team in the stadium and they suffer a like a last minute defeat, everyone knows what that feeling's like. And, you know, if you're, if you're covering your own team and then you go down to the press conference and then you ask the manager, like generally speaking, they'll probably feel the same way that you do about it. And yet they have to have this incredibly measured response to all the questions because otherwise, um, otherwise headlines, otherwise yeah. always cracking or <laughs> like, you know, I think you saw a little bit of that with Frank Lampard yeah. last week, mm-hmm. you know, with, with what he said, which I wasn't terribly impressed by, but, you know, probably a manifestation of the pressure. And I, I think it's a good, you know, doing that kind of reporting, I, I think it's a really good way to stay in touch with the humanity of the sport. Um, and it's important. Like if you, you know, I remember, I remember being um, just after Antonio Conte, um, arrived at Chelsea. I think I did one of his first games, which if I remember rightly was against Leicester at Stamford Bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, first time I, I covered a game that he was he was coaching. And there was a real charisma about it. And in those moments, Pochettino was the same. Like if you get up close and personal to some of these guys, you appreciate that they are quite, they're quite captivating. And yeah. so all of a sudden you find yourself in a position where you think, yeah, I can imagine a player buying into what he says. Mm-hmm. I remember, um, and this might prove wrong in time, but I remember when Scott Parker was in interim charge at Fulham um, after, um, I think it was, they sat Ranieri, didn't they? And then they yeah. brought Scott Parker in. Everyone's yeah. like, oh, yeah, Scott Parker, okay. Just an old boy getting a, you know. Actually, like, remember sitting there and, and okay, so Scott Parker isn't, you know, um, a hugely well-spoken person, but so what? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. That's not what football's about. Mm-hmm. And yet, if you, if you sit and listen to him, he's really interesting. And there's a real... Um, a real charisma to him, which is really hard to explain. And so, okay, now, over a year later, I'm seeing Scott Parker manage a fairly disparate group of players who've all been brought together. And, you know, there's a lot of flux in that. And, you know, you know coaching, so you know how difficult it is to rebuild a defence and goalkeeper in yeah. the space of a few months. And yet, okay, they may still get relegated, but they're a hell of a lot better than they were last time around. And so your mind goes back to... Yeah, well, I, interesting, isn't it? Because Scott Parker's a pretty good communicator. Yeah. And, you know, if I was a player, you know, if I wasn't fat and unfit, <laughs> and old, <laughs> then I could imagine myself running through a brick wall for him. Yeah. Or, you know, or to, to at least pay attention when he's trying to explain some technical point within the game or give me a marking assignment a corner. I'd imagine I'd pay attention. Yeah. And so maybe... Um, the media can be guilty sometimes of oversubscribing to details like that and making them more important than they really are. But it's a really good thing to be aware of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It does. He does seem like a very personable, personable manager, personable coach. And again, it it might be a, a unwarranted dig here, but it does appear that in the press, some some managers in the in the past have maybe been the complete opposite, and that has translated to players, and that's ultimately been the downfall. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I, I think we're also we're guilty of a little bit of snobbery um, yeah. sometimes, and that I think one of the, the the one of the knocks on Scott Parker, unfortunately, is literally just the way he talks. Yeah, and like people just dismiss him because he's just a bit too English in a way, and he's <laughs> he's a Cockney, and so people make assumptions about what kind of they just assume he's Harry Redknapp, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's hugely unfair. Chris Wilder suffered from this. Yeah, like. Look at the jobs Chris Wilder has done, not just last season, but all the seasons preceding. Yeah. That's an yeah, amazing yeah. piece of work. Yeah, it stands toe to toe with pretty much anything that exists in the game at the moment yeah. in, in England as, a, as purely a coaching exercise. Um, and so, yeah, you, you, it's, it's really important 
to I'm not sure what I'm quite trying to say, but it's important to see beyond the surface image. Mm-hmm. I think anything you can do to do that is 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 a value. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. It's a really good point actually. So um appreciate that. Um just to finish off with and just to slightly rewind on the on the podcast uh, feature that you, you talked about, the sensible transfers. I wanted to get your thoughts on, I've got 10 names. Um, oh, okay. All it's right. very, very simple, stay or go. So whether you think in the summer, obviously the, it's pretty much yeah. the end of the transfer window now. So, you know, there's there's no real point even even trying to attempt to, to uh, guess that. But we'll go with summer, um, 10 names, okay. whether you think they'll stay or go. So we'll start with a couple of names which you've mentioned in the podcast. So up Uber Meccano. Go. It's time. Where? Do you want me to expand on where? Well, not all of them. I might just, I might just catch you on the spot a little bit. I think he goes. I think he goes to a big club. I think he's. Uh, I mean, depending on what happens with uh, Alaba, Sergio Ramos, I could see him at Real Madrid. Okay. I think that defense is due an upgrade. Cool. Uh, Dali Ali. Oh, breaks my heart. <laughs> he needs to go, but. It's an instance where you need a sporting director in the room. You need right. someone to say, look, okay, so him and Jose Mourinho don't get on, but you do not sell a player of Deli Ali's ability when he's 24. You just don't do it. Yeah. You, you just, there's, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm investing in that one a bit too much. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's a sore spot, that. Messi? <laughs> <laughs> um, Stay. Politically, yeah, you can't. You know, when, when the new president arrives at uh, Barcelona and almost certainly Xavi comes back, like, I think these things affect his decision to stay. Also, what, you want your first act as president to be the guy that allowed Messi yeah. to leave? Nope. Yeah, I think so. Doesn't look good, does it? Um, one which I'm sure you're bored of, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely bored of, Jadon Sancho. Mm, I think he'll go because... I think Dortmund will probably have to sell one of him or Erling Haaland. I mean, if they don't make the Champions League places, then they'll probably have to get rid of both. Yeah. Um, and Haaland, I think, has a release clause which kicks in at the end of uh, next season. Mm-hmm. Um, so they might want to get a jump start on that. Um, I think he'll come back to England. I, d- I, I mean, I, I don't know whether um, I don't know whether there's any lasting damage to the kind of the the noise around that Man United stuff last year when. when the things that people were reading bore no relation to obviously what was uh, what was actually happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very very good. Not to plug uh, my own place of employment, but there's a very very good uh, athletic article on that, <laughs> uh, which should still be around. So go check that one out. Yeah. <laughs> um, Salah. Uh, stay, stay. I don't. I mean, who's paying the kind of money that Liverpool would ask for someone mm-hmm. of his age? I think that's the yeah. key thing. That. Um, Kane. <laughs> I'm in my dead body. He stays. He stays yeah. forever. <laughs> he stays for 20 years after he's retired. Let's disagree on that. Right, okay. Fair enough. Uh, I will say I did put a poll out saying should Man City sign Kane about three months ago, so I apologise uh, about that. Um, Pogba. I think you'll go. I think um, I think his agent has decided that he should go. Um, yeah. I don't know where he goes to. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I actually think Paris Saint-Germain makes quite a lot of sense because I, I think if you were looking to rebalance that midfield and make it a bit more aggressive, mm-hmm. um, very negative at the moment for what they are, 
you can see that happening. You can see him going back to France, and he's a he's a natural fit. Like Paul Pogba is a star of the game, but he's also a star in inverted commas of the game too. He's a personality, like a footballing celebrity of sorts, really. Uh, the glamour, the image, it fits a lot of things that they try and do commercially as well. Yeah. So that would make sense. Uh, yeah. Juventus always will do because of Riala's relationship yeah, with uh, yeah. with Juve. But uh, Grealish, stay. So you know, it's like um, again, it, it, it's not it's not quite messy, but it, it's similar. Yeah. You, you can't you can't sell a player like that really. If he wants to stay, and he's only signed off a new contract what nine months ago. Yeah. He wants to stay, um, then Villa have no reason to sell him. I mean, they're owned by two very, very wealthy people, uh, Wes Eden and uh, Nessa Sawiris. Um, there's no financial obligation to sell. Also, listen, you know, I, I, I had the opportunity to watch Grealish play at Villa Park um, when they're back in the championship. And it was like watching, um, it's like watching the Queen in Windsor. There was a real connection between yeah. like the person and the public. Right. And that that thing about growing up to play for the club that you supported as a boy, it's not a, it's not just rhetoric. It, it, it's a something. It matters. Mm-hmm. And Grealish is the best example of that. And I, it, I just I can't see him leaving. I think actually I think he'll end up spending his entire career at Villa no, um, because really? I think Villa will um will evolve pretty quickly. I think their transfer business has been good. Yeah, they've got some big money there back in the Premier League. Good stadium. They're a, they're a household name of English football. There's no reason why um, there's no reason why he should have to leave to to fulfil his his objectives, his ambitions. Cool. Uh, two more. This has been in the pipeline for a, a while, I think. But Varane. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think he can leave Real Madrid really because I. You can't lose him and Ramos in the same summer. Yeah. I don't know what the latest is with the Ramos's contract situation, but like he's what I think he's twenty seven, twenty eight for Ram now. Like he should be in his prime as a defender. Yeah. Like I, I think that's one of the, you know, that's one of the cornerstones of the Champions League successes. You can't, you can't really get rid of him, mm-hmm. um, or at least, you know, you've you've got quite a lot of flux, with, you know, which is inevitable in that side anyway forget Ramos you've got like you're going to have to lose Modric at some point Kroos is going to go Benzema is in it well into his 30s now mm-hmm. like if you start getting rid of, of Varane too all of a sudden it's it's a full rebuild really yeah um, so no I, I think he'll stay where he is okay and last but not least Olivier Giroud yeah I mean I don't know I mean I mean first of all let's see what happens when see who takes over from Ratan Lampard at Chelsea yeah. but Giroud is one of those players that you, you could probably see not necessarily scoring a lot of goals but being of use to a side for a long long time still because um, he could have three or four years left mm-hmm. I think I think to be honest with you I, I, I like him I think I like him in Italy yeah. I like him somewhere like maybe Roma mm-hmm. I mean into the kind of the, the Edin Dzeko space I know they're not the same kind of player but they've got a lot of players at Roma who could work quite nicely in concert with, with, a, with a forward like that and at least in a reserve role at least in someone that was able to share the minutes and you know I know it's probably not something that would excite the fans but it, you know you could still have a lot worse I'm sure it's still a really really good player yeah he is definitely I, I think I, th- I actually think Chelsea would make, be making a mistake by letting him go. Um, I, I completely could, agree. I think completely he could fit the mould of quite a lot quite a lot of managers actually and obviously Deschamps is a massive fan of him at, at France as well so it's clear that he yeah. can he can adjust to, to different sort of styles of play, can't he? 
and people people seem to treat people have always treated Giroud like like he's uh, Stephen Kivash. You know, Jumba. Um, you know, the, the yeah. forward that doesn't score. Yeah. Giroud's a much better player. <laughs> yeah, than of course that. he is. <laughs> like you know, and, and he he's kind of been disrespected. I feel like it's kind of a it's like an Arsenal syndrome, isn't it? Like yeah. if you're if you're on the receiving end of a particular type of behaviour from from fans, or if you're if you're treated in a certain way, all of a sudden you you kind of like you become a little bit of a joke and. I don't know, like, I think he's deserving a hell of a lot more. Look what he's achieved in his career. Like, Definitely. You know. yeah. Of course, absolutely. Um, so what I'll do is, Seb, I'll schedule a Zoom call in seven months' time and we can see where we're at with those 10, <laughs> ten transfers and see, <laughs> see if you're right. Um, but now, obviously, thanks thanks so much for, for coming along today and dedicating your time. I know, um, obviously, things are things are really busy at the moment, moment but um, really appreciate you coming on and spend the last sort of 45 minutes discussing... A variety of things. I've really enjoyed the the episode, so thank you again. No, my pleasure, Scott. It's been great fun. Cool. Um, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, join me next week for episode five. <laughs>